Something New is supported by listeners like you. Visit joelbnew.com and help this podcast continue to grow, thrive, and be a part of the creative conversation. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to episode 414 of Something New. I'm your host, Joel B. New. How's everybody doing? Uh, Did everyone have a nice fourth? Uh, I certainly did. I was at a beach, albeit under um, the shade of a very large umbrella. Um, But that is my idea of beach time. So it was a really lovely holiday. I hope yours was as well. If you are listening to this on Sunday, July 10th, that means you're listening to it on BroadwayWorld.com, which is a podcast exclusive with BroadwayWorld.com. So congrats, and thank you so much for tuning in a whole day early. Then the rest of the world gets to listen to it, you lucky, lucky people. If you have friends who are fans of the show and they're like, man, I can't wait for the next episode... Well, guess what? They don't have to wait. They can come to Broadway World right now. So tell them. Tweet them. Facebook them. Instagram them. Snapchat them. I'm not on Snapchat, but it's okay if you are. Let's see. I have a really, really exciting guest for you guys today. Michael Casera, the casting director himself. Um, It was such a delight to get to sit down and talk to him at length about his career, his past, his future, his genealogy, if you will. I'm really excited to share that episode with you and his performance, which is killer, if I may add. He is an awesome human being and a wonderful artist and a great collaborator and and now a, a great friend. And I look forward to sharing that all with you momentarily. So I wanted to thank you all for indulging me in a re-airing of my musical RSVP two, ep- uh, two weeks ago. Um, it's a really special project of mine, and I felt that it bared a second listen given recent events in the world. So thank you again for listening to that. Related to that, there's a new organization that has come across uh, my path, which is called Photographers for Orlando, and it's a beautiful organization of professional photographers around the country, around the world, I think, where if you choose to help donate to Orlando and the uh, to help recover from the recent tragedies that have happened there. And if you happen to be a uh, recently engaged same-sex couple, such as myself, then uh, they will give you a free engagement session um, in in thanking you for donating to help to helping these uh, to the victims. It's a beautiful project that was born out of something so sad and unnecessary. And um, I'm, I'm honored and very humbled that, um, that I got to participate in it. And I hope that if you are looking for reasons to donate other than just because it's the right thing to do for your fellow man and woman, then I encourage you to look up Photographers for Orlando. Um, they are everywhere. They have a website. They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram. They're on the Facebook Um, It's, again, a really worthwhile organization. Please check them out. Thank you so much. The Cabot Cove EP continues to uh, chug right along on schedule. Uh, This weekend, we actually finished editing it. Last night, uh, I got home at 1 in the morning from Restoration Sound in Brooklyn, my producer's recording studio. And Lorenzo and Scott and I finished editing late last night. Uh, so now we have all the takes of all the instruments for all the songs, 
and um, in hopefully a couple of days' time, knock on wood, uh, everything will go over to uh, to my friend MP for mixing and then mastering, and then and then essentially like the album part of the album it will be done. Uh, we're looking to have the release and listening party sometime in September. Um, and it seems that we are still in line with that trajectory. So thank you all for um, supporting the album through Kickstarter, through liking, watching videos, and uh, just your your general spirit and support. I feel you all with me. I can't wait to share this project with you um, in its complete entirety. I think you're going to be really, really pleased because I am. Hashtag Murder She Pricey. Lastly, before I get to the interview, um, I want to take a moment and dedicate um, this episode to my late grandma, Dolly New. Uh, we lost her last weekend um, somewhat unexpectedly. Um, she was a very early fan of mine from the get go, and I have so many memories of her asking me to sing for her as a kid and as a teenager and um, playing piano in her uh, in her back room of, of Grandma and Grandpa's house and her sneaking in to like listen and I wrote some of my first songs on that piano at Grandma's house and um, she she will be she is deeply missed and so I, I dedicate today's episode to Grandma New. I love you. Thank you all for listening and without further ado, here is my episode with Michael Casera. This is Joel B. New, and you're listening to Something New, my chance to talk with some of the savviest theater people in the industry, hear their stories, play through and premiere a brand new original song, and get to the heart of what makes them the working, multifaceted artists they have come to be. Today's guest artist is a casting director and educator based in New York, dedicated to developing and fostering the growth of new musicals, plays, and film projects. He has worked with many of the nation's top theaters, including Gulf Shore Playhouse, the Denver Center, the Old Globe, Great Lakes Theater, Idaho Shakespeare Festival, the Hangar Theater, and more. Since 2007, he has served as the resident casting director of the New York Musical Festival, where he has cast over 70 individual projects. In 2013, he became the casting director for the National Alliance for Musical Theater and casts their annual festival of new musicals each October. Feature film credits include Grantham and Rose, Contest, and Clear Blue Tuesday. Additionally, he has cast a number of high-profile short films, including Alienated and The Hyperglot. Originally a performer, he is a native Clevelander and a BFA graduate of the musical theater program at Otterbein. He regularly teaches and lectures on musical theater and the entertainment industry in New York City and throughout the world. Obviously, I'm talking about Michael Casera. Michael Casera, thanks for being on my show. Hey, Joel. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Great. Happy Friday. Thank you. Happy Friday to you. It was, I, I was sitting here kind of... This is your life, Michael Casera. That was a little terrifying, but yeah, you know, yeah. thank you for the you're welcome. The long wait introduction. Till, wait till yeah. the guests are coming. I know, I know. Yeah, I, you're I'm fourth looking, grade teachers. Here. I'm looking for oh, Mrs. Rasper. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, <laughs> so. she has some questions for you, Anne Ella Rasper. Yeah. 
I hope she's still with us. But, yeah. I do too. Yeah. I like to think that all of my great school teachers are still yeah. alive. I know for a fact that's not the case, but yes. you know, with many of them. Science. But, yeah. Back to. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing well. Great. I'm doing well. I'm so happy yeah. to have you on the show. Yeah. Well, we've been talking about this for a, a, a good while a good, now, good and so I'm while. glad we finally were able yeah. to make it work. I think it's such a great. I I, I listen to you on long plane trips. You know, oh, that's so I, like, nice. I enjoy listening to uh, to people do your your stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm I'm glad that you're you're now among the fold. I am. Yeah, you're going to be an alum. It's very exciting. If you're on a long plane trip, I hope I hope it's going well for you. Get there safely. Yeah. You know. So I'm just going to dig in and ask you some questions. Sure. So like you're one of my first, I think, people who isn't actively seeking performing opportunities. Is that fair? That is more than fair. (laughs) (laughs) Actively avoiding them, but this sounded like fun. Yeah. No, I I. I was a performer since I was a kid and and loved it, but very happily left about thirteen, fourteen years ago. So, so I, no, I uh, no regrets. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. The, well, I'm uh, so so. I didn't know you were a performer at all. I didn't yeah. know um, until you told me. And found out by reading your bio this morning that you went to Otterbein. <laughs> I did. Um, which I auditioned for. I did not get in. Oh, it's fine. Their loss. It's totally our loss. We would have been classmates. We, we totally would have been. Would have been. Yeah. We totally would have been. Yeah. Um, so you said like 13 years ago you got like when, how, why? Sure. Well, Otterbein, the, the, the BFA program essentially has a requirement that all the seniors do an internship in casting. So... Um, the what way, do you think that is? Well, the, the way they explained it at the time, I mean, they've been doing this for 30-some years, and they're, you know, Otterbein's a small school in Westerville, Ohio, which is where Prohibition started, and, uh, you know, that has kind of remained the the temperament of the town, so, really? you know, I mean, yeah, and it's a, it's a lovely place, but it's it's Mayberry, and, and I think that uh, years ago, I, I know when they started the internship program, it was essentially saying, look... We can teach you the business of acting as we understand it, but by the time you leave, it's going to be out of date. By the time you receive it, it's going to be out of date huh. because because the industry changes so quickly, and as do standards and expectations and all of that. So I find it to be a very shrewd approach to send the students, while they're still under the academic bubble, send everyone to a city like New York or L.A., to really get some hands-on experience working in the industry, not only are you meeting people and making relationships, but you're you're learning how things may work if you choose to pursue the acting career. So, yeah. so I was fortunate enough. Um, I did my internship in the fall of 2002 uh, at Johnson Lift Casting, which um, back in the day was really the the biggest office in town, um, doing shows like. Les Mis and Cats and Phantom and the producers had just opened and and it was a wonderful place to be. Um, it was they that was the year they decided to close the office shortly after I got there. About three days after I got there, <laughs> they're like, you "Well, know, yeah, now you know." And I I of course went in thinking, "Well, I'm just going to be the next Marius, and then they'll they'll just spot me." Obviously, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. but they didn't. Um, but but I but they did. You know, I I had a lot of random knowledge that was all of a sudden useful for something because I grew up, I was a big cast recording nerd and I grew up just kind of loving musical theater culture and in history. And, and I found myself, um, all of a sudden it was a very valuable skill 
being in a casting office, being able to come up with ideas and know who was who and not hang up on the wrong person on the phone, things right, like that, right. you know. Um, so I did I did an internship. I then did some, like, freelance assistant kind of work. And meanwhile, I did my college senior showcase and all that still as a performer. I had a summer stock job. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, moved, uh, I moved back to New York August of 03. And I couldn't get arrested. I mean, I couldn't... Nobody was hiring in the casting arena... And I was auditioning, but half-heartedly and not really finding much employment there either. So I started temping and doing other things. And uh, ultimately, pretty shortly thereafter, I found myself uh, deciding to pursue the casting route full-time on my own because no one else was really interested in, in uh, hiring me at the time. And so so I started, I had friends who were writers and people that I knew and... I would do a lot of readings and, you know, things, favors or $100 or whatever. And and uh, September of 03 was my first project on my own. And then by 2005, I moved into my first office space. So it's been, it's been about 11, 12 years since we've been uh, doing that. Yeah. That's huge. Well, that's, a, that's a really good story. I think. I, I, it's it's the only one I know. So it's you know no, I mean it's it's been a lot of trial and error, and it's been sure. a lot of you know fake it till you make it, as mm-hmm. they say. And and I and I I'm glad in many ways to kind of be graduating from that phase. I think I think I I've learned a lot. I've had a lot of wonderful opportunities and a lot of great uh, opportunities to grow on the job, as it were. And I've messed some things up here and there, but. I, I like to think that I mess fewer things up every year now, so it's it's good. So how does your background as a performer, because you said you've been performing since you were eight or so? I think my my first show was Oliver when I was eight. Oh my god! And I was Oliver the was understudy. Oh, was it? At, at ten. At ten. Okay. Yeah, I was very. I was on the young end. I think I was one of the younger kids. But my my mother was. Um, Mrs. Sourberry, so I, oh I, I was kind of like going to be there like anyway. the Undertaker's wife? Oh, yeah. Me? Yeah. She was also the rose seller. You know, she, she uh-huh. doubled. Yep. She, you know, she doubled. <laughs> she was, she, uh, yeah, she had the, be. she had the first who will buy solo. And then, Ooh. and then, and I just remember that I was, t- I was, I knew every word and I was very excited, but I do remember being terrified if I ever had to go on, and I did not, you know, thank you, Andrew Rothman, wherever you may be. Um, you know, he never missed. He was he had a fever one night, never missed. But if I if I had to go on, I was terrified about being trapped in the uh, in the coffin. You know, when they put oh, him yes. in the coffin, like yeah. that was a spoiler alert. I'm sorry, but you know, but I mean, but that was uh, that was very daunting to me. I'm, Small spaces, not not yeah, yeah. everything. Yeah, <laughs> so so yeah, but but then I I played sports and did music and kind of did other stuff and then I I think once I got to high school it was kind of like it, it I was just drawn back into the theater world yeah. and and uh, I remember doing hair at my high school when I was fourteen I played woof. Nice. It's a very progressive, liberal <laughs> country day school in <laughs> suburban Cleveland, but yeah, no, it was. Uh, it was, you know, so that kind of got me back into the fold. Yeah. <laughs> so how we did, cut sodomy. We didn't sing sodomy. But, no, you know, no, of but, course, of course not. But I, I got to do so other you, things. You yes. know. I was woof without sodomy. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, how does your extensive background in performing arts, like, how do you feel like they, that makes you a better casting director? Well, I. Or does it? 
I mean, yeah, I think, I think that, I mean, the thing about being a casting director is there's no commonality of training. I mean, many of us were performers, but then you'll find people who weren't, and you'll find people who are more directors or um, enthusiasts. You know, there are a lot of different ways to end up doing this, but um, I was a performer long enough that I, I think I have a lifetime supply of empathy for, you know, <laughs> for what it's worth. Yeah. And I... I'm always rooting for, you know, I know how intense those situations can be, and I have a a real soft spot for it because I was there. I mean, I've, I've, I, I did it for long enough to know how how high stakes everything is. Um, I think I, I come from a music background more than um, some of my colleagues, so I mean, for me, my office focuses on musical theater casting largely, and. I feel in some ways, I don't want to say better equipped, but I feel well equipped to cast musicals where there's a lot of, there, there are a lot of music department needs that we can address pretty thoroughly because of my music background and, and that, um, uh, less, less so in the dance arena, though I, <laughs> I, I get by, um, you know, but, uh, the mean jazz square. Oh yeah. Or grapevine across <laughs> the, across the floor. Um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I think that. I think that it's a, a combination of empathy and and um, and just understanding how certain things work. I mean, I've worn a lot of hats in the in the industry, so it, it, I think that informs my my work to some extent. How does like new work and developing new work enter like your your spectrum of casting and your interests? Sure. Well, a lot of a lot of what we cast is new work. Um, you know, as you said, I, I mean, we're the resident casting office for Nymph and for NAMPT, so those are two of the largest organizations that are producing new new musical yeah. work um, here in New York. And um, I, uh, I mean, when I cast NAMPT, for example, that's usually about seventy roles that are all done with straight offers. So, I mean, there's no audition process per se. So, mm. my job is to really know the voices of New York inside out. And I, I feel that I do to some extent. I mean, that's my... That's what I need to be able to do, but that if you're casting a movie, you're looking for the person or the spirit or the the energy of someone to play a role in that film. When you're casting a musical, all of that stuff still matters. You still need the right energy and the right spirit, but perhaps the composer is conceived that it's a coloratura or that there's you know that there's there's a there's a very specific vocal demand it's not my job to question what that demand is it's my job to figure out how can we suit that need who's the person that will suit that best hmm. and if it's something that seems unwieldy then i say okay i don't know that this person exists <laughs> but i mean much of the time i think my job is to to simply know the community intimately enough that I can come up with smart ideas. And sometimes it's as simple as I have 10 great ideas and none of them are available. So it's coming up with that 11th idea is I think a big part of my, <laughs> my daily life. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, how collaborative have you been or can you be with like the creative team? Like when, when are you typically brought on like, I can, bigger projects yeah, or smaller? I mean, I, uh, particularly these days I'm brought on pretty early. I mean, I, I think that people, don't like to mess around, and there's no reason to not have the best people from the get-go. So, 
um, we do a lot of developmental work, and we do a lot of work early in the process where we're we're uh, sometimes you know hired before a director even yeah. I mean that can be interesting but um I mean no I mean you know I mean but if somebody's developing a piece and still finalizing their team um we're very collaborative it's our job it's our my job much of the time is to kind of referee and get everyone seeing the same show so um I mean this afternoon I had a a video conference call on a, a new project we're working on and I had 11 people on you know, video chat all at once, you know, and I mean, I'm talking to the music consultant, I'm talking to the, you know, the producers, I've got little Brady Bunch windows of everyone's, you know, yeah, but it's, but it's satisfying. It's so satisfying. And I mean, because it's about compromise more so than settling, you know, it's Mm -hmm. about figuring out what the best collaborative compromise is versus, you know, I think settling has a negative connotation. It's about saying, okay, the dance department isn't going to get everything they want, mm-hmm. nor is the music department, nor the producers. But we can all be really happy with this one person who's a B plus in all three areas. You know, I mean, you know, it's it's yeah. figuring things like that out, and 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 it's satisfying when the team says, "Oh yeah, you're right. We're not going to do better than this." You know, that's mm-hmm. that's when you know, okay, we've we've done everything possible. So, yeah. how many people are working at Michael Casera Casting? Um, my, my associate, Jamie Anderson, is uh, my right hand. And depend- and she and I are always there. And then depending on the time of year, we have uh, seasonal assistants when you know when needed. We usually have a couple of interns at any given time as yeah. well. Um, we have a, are they actors? Um, sometimes. Usually uh, actors who are in college. Um, we, we uh, you know, if they're still in school so that they're getting college credit for mm-hmm. the the internship but um you know i've i've i believe that actors have a lot that there's a lot that they can learn from working or volunteering in a casting office so um it it, it always just depends on the circumstance but obviously we require a lot of trust and a lot of um you know we just need to be able to trust someone since there's so much sensitive information sure. floating around but um but uh, but yeah, right now we have a, a full time college uh, junior who's interning with us, and uh, and it's great, and they learn a lot, and we learn a lot from them, and you know it's yeah. always it's very nice. What's it like to yeah. be you know as you were once the intern at a casting sure. place, and now it's your name on the door? Like, is your name literally on a door? My name is literally on a door. That's awesome. You know, I, I That's share. Really cool. <laughs> yeah, I've enjoyed that over the years. I've, <laughs> I guess this is my. What did we figure out? My 11th, 12th year of having office space, and I've been in about four different spaces in that time, and three different spaces, and um, I've always had a nice talk with the engraving company, and the, we used King Displays, had a nice sign on the door. I like having oh. my name on a door. It's, yeah. It's a perk. Oh, too. <laughs> <laughs> you, need, you need to do it. You yeah, need to make it, make it so, Joel B. New, you know, you'll, <laughs> you'll have a, yeah. I would like that. Yeah. I like that. Um, but, you yeah, know, it's... it's um, I've actually... Otterbein's program, the last five or so years, we've had an intern from that program. Wow. And that's really satisfying for me because, yeah. you know, I, I have a I have a soft spot for my own alma mater, but I also... It's nice to, um, 
just kind of stay involved that way. So Pro, we we talked about we touched upon uh, casting new work. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you approach casting new work versus a show that's been produced before, or is that a different muscle? Well, I I think that these days it's all changing in many ways because I think um, I think there's a lot of I find a lot of people come to us with existing work that they're hoping to reinvent in one way or another, and that mm. can be that can be liberating, that can be disastrous, that can be you know. I mean, there are certain things that just simply won't work. Um, but again, it's not mine to really. It's mine to try to serve the project. That's my 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 task, my goal, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to try and, you know, you have to be chameleonic as a casting director to, I could be with one type of director on Thursday and a drastically different type of director on a Friday. And my job is to serve both and serve their needs and figure out what those needs are and find a way to, there are people that I would bring in on Thursday that I would never bring in on Friday. Mm -hmm. Same project even, you know? Um, so it just, it's a lot of it is you know, psych- psychology and and um, getting into the minds of what someone seeks well beyond the, the specific needs of of the play or the musical or the film. Um, so in terms of new work versus existing work, I mean, I think that sometimes with existing work, it feels a little fenced in because mm-hmm. we all have some idea of what, Curly and Laurie are going to be, you know, and and meanwhile, there have been productions we've even worked on where they've blown the roof off of those preconceived notions. And then there are other productions that say, no, 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 we just want the thing that's always worked, you know. (laughs) So, and honestly, both can be delightful. I mean, it's, I find it to be a great treat to get to revisit classic works of musical theater because it's a it's i mean my era is really kind of you know oklahoma to company that's kind of 43 to 70 right you know that's kind of that's just kind of what i love and what i listen to and what i know better than anything so as much as i've developed hundreds of new musicals I, i mean just last week for instance i was in auditions for a my fair lady and i mean it's bulletproof you know there's just something that's so satisfying that it just works there's nothing that's finding itself out. Now, that's not always the case, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I did, you know, a fiddler, or she loves me. I mean, these are just masterworks that, mm. that just work. So it, it changes the, I mean, sometimes with new and less developed work, I find that it's not the performer, but it's, it's the work itself. That's, that's <coughs> needing to gain clarity. Yep. And that's no one's fault. That's the process. That's mm-hmm. the that's the process that shows like the ones I just mentioned had by going out of town and by, you know, trying things out. So so I I like to be able to offer writers and directors that opportunity um by getting them the best possible people so that they can work out yeah. the kinks. But yeah. Do you feel that your job is ever dramaturgical? Um Yes, with caution. Um, I mean, I would say, I mean, I'm no drama. I, I, that's it's not my background. I'm no dramaturg. I I don't think that I'm very good at play analysis, character analysis. I mean, that's not really where I live. Um, I ask a lot of questions, 
there are people who are much better at that than I. And I seek to get their input, but the reality is there are so many... When you're casting a musical, for instance, there are so many constraints already that I'm still bringing in the same seven people, but it's a, it's a question of exactly where is this going to fall? You know, I mean, it... it, it um, it's a it's a complicated question. It's one that yeah. I enjoy spending time with, but I, I don't think... I'm not there to... I will immerse myself in a script. I will know everything I can about those characters, but I'm still... I'm more interested in figuring out the potential constraints and the potential desperate needs. We desperately need this person to be dashing. We desperately need this person to be, neb- person to be nebbishy. You know, whatever... When, I, when it's things like that then I can have something to go on and say, oh, well, it's this person and this person and this person. Right. And then I bring them into a room and we see what feels right. And that's, that's the, the, the process in many ways. Yeah. To hear more interviews and original songs, visit the Something New archives at joelbnew.com, where you'll find conversations with other members of the New York Musical Festival family, such as general manager Liz Ulmer. But the thing about producing is it's not all business. It's not all numbers. A lot of it is, yes. But I, one thing that has surprised me about producing and going into the business man- the management side of theater is that there's still so much creativity that you can add. And I think the more creativity you can add as a business person, um, the, the better you're going to do your job. Why are casting directors important? <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you think casting directors are important. Well, I, um, I, yeah. it's, it's a question for me is, uh, personally because um, I mean, I'm not at a point yet in my career project-wise where I've needed to call upon sure. one, you know, which makes me sad. But, yeah, sure. Um, as long as I have dibs. You yeah. know, as long yeah. as I have dibs. I have dibs. Um, so I'm, I'm curious what... Um, why, why casting directors? Sure. Well, there's... I think that our our job is often misunderstood, like many people's jobs, you know. <laughs> but but I mean, I think that there there are those among us and people I've collaborated with and people I know who who don't necessarily understand the value that a great casting director can bring to a project. Um, Let's tell them. Sure, my my job is only partially clerical. You know, I think that there's there's a notion of, oh, well, all the actors are submitted and then you set up the appointments and print out the schedules and that's that's it. And that's a small fraction of what we do. Sure. It's part of what we do. There's a, there's a big logistical puzzle to our life, but um, our job involves many moving parts. We're constantly seeing theater. We're constantly meeting actors and tracking actors and keeping people in mind and as I said earlier it's not just um, there is this kind of psychological social component where we're figuring out which actors might work best with which directors and theater companies and producers and things like that so we're matchmakers in many ways I mean we're figuring out the perfect fit and the perfect uh, people for any variety of settings Um, I can any job that I do goes well beyond the kind of off-the-rack options in the sense of 
if I just relied on agent submissions and manager submissions and, you know, who shows up to the open call or the EPA, I, I would never achieve the quality of work that I achieve. Hmm. Any project I do, I am going deep into my brain and my files and figuring out who's the best person in the world. Not just of, that's available that seems to be of the level, but who's the best person in the world. And then you shoot high and you see what you get. You see what comes up. So, I mean, there are many... I mean, I, I, I it, it's a strange thing to have pride over, but I, I, um, I can think of many, many dozens of projects where I went to the opening and the casting was exalted and everybody, you know, everyone was just really pleased with how it ended up. And I looked on the stage and not a single one of those actors was submitted by an agent. It was, hmm. it was things that came out of our heads and I, you know, I depend on my, my team. I mean, Jamie is fantastic and I, you know, we all pitch in to come up with those ideas, but it, it's, that's where it becomes, I think the best directors and the best writers know that there's value added by insisting on the the best casting option for that piece. And I'm not the person for every show, but for the shows for which I'm right, I'm the best person. You know, I mean, it, but it's that it's it's a matter of taste. You know, we're hired for to curate a room essentially. Okay. So Thursday, August fourth, you're teaching your annual masterclass. I am a part uh, as part of Nymph. Yeah. So um, this was this was about, talk to me about that. yeah I mean it was about six or seven years ago so I've been so Nymph is the New York Musical Festival we've we've rebranded since uh, a, a year ago when it was the New York Musical Theater Festival the tea it's, is silent the, the tea is silent and now banished so <laughs> but the New York Musical Festival uh, started in two thousand four and and I've been fortunate to, for, fortunate enough to kind of. Uh, come up with Nymph in many ways. I've cast shows in the festival every year since 2004 and and uh, took over as the resident casting director in 2007. And um, about six or seven years ago, they asked me to teach a class as part of the festival, as part of the education and outreach events. And we do it every year. It always sells out. And they have, um, I think, 14 or 15 performer slots where you, you you pay whatever the fee is and and um, get to perform and get feedback and I, I work with you but then they have about I think 60 or 70 observer seats as well yeah because it's in a theater uh, uh, this year it's in one of one of our spaces and it's um, I, I like that very much because I, I, I it's individualized work in a group setting mm-hmm. I like being able to do things in front of an audience. I, I think that there's value added for those who are observing and those who are performing. So, um, so we do it every year. We do it as kind of a, a benefit. The, the proceeds benefit uh, the festival and its educational uh, outreach. And uh, I believe there are still spots available. So, if you're listening to this, August fourth, uh, it's just um, it's a hundred dollars to perform and get feedback. Uh, it's very small class size, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be pretty small. And it's just twelve dollars to observe, which includes you can you can participate in the Q and A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a Q and A, and that's um, nymf.org. <laughs> Go sign up online yeah. today. Yeah, absolutely. I hope to see you there. Switching gears, you talked about you started like doing theater when you were eight mm-hmm. or so. According to your website, you um, you were always you've been fascinated with genealogical research since you were eight. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, is the, there any connection there? 
Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's, it's become as I've kind of steadied myself into adulthood here. I, uh, it's really become my main passion, um, studying my, my, my own family's history and studying family history in many ways, kind of the, the techniques. We're at an incredible time right now because the digital era has ushered in so many opportunities for genealogists and anyone enthused by their, you know, the, the prospect of knowing more about their family history to, at the touch of a button, learn. I mean, what used to be something that only existed on in books or on microfilm is now digitally indexed. And in a matter of seconds, you can learn about your family's heritage. Um, so, yeah, it was something that started when I was very young. Um, I was probably eight or nine. And, uh, what was the impetus? I think it was that I was an only child growing up in Cleveland. Um, and I... Um, my my father's family was from New York City and upstate New York. My mother's family was from New Jersey, and um, and they they were all we were the only ones in Cleveland. They moved to Cleveland right before I was born, so there were a lot of pictures and there were a lot of stories and there were a lot of names, but the actual people I very rarely got to see, if ever, hmm. and. I had always been fascinated. Actually, you know what I'll tell you? I mean, I think that a big part of why I love history, I can, I, I know this was when I was eight because I was in third grade. Um, one of those first cast recordings that I wore out was 1776. Oh. And, you know, and I, and I just loved everything about it. And, and I, I fell in love with American history, but just history in general. And so there, there's always a bit of a tie in with the theater the theater bug as well, but um, over the years, I've it's ebbed and flowed. I I spend time like there are times when I'm doing a lot of intense genealogical research, and then there are times where I'm more fully in the theater world. In the course of a year, sometimes it 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 kind of ebbs and flows. You know, you know, as as when I'm busy in the office, then I'm not really thinking about it. I don't have time for it, but when I'm Right now it's July and August, which are two of my best months to kind of be a nerd and sit at my computer and huh? uh, go on road trips to courthouses and, you know, things what? like that. Yeah. Is there any crossover, you know, you've you discovered that there's crossover from, like, your performing days and genealogy and speaking and things like that. Sure. Is there any crossover with, like, your casting world? Do you feel like you're being a... Can you call yourself a genealogist? Oh, I can call myself a genealogist. I do. I mean, that's that's you know, is it the proper term? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think there is crossover because um, it both has to do with people. Yeah, I mean, my my friend Annika Chapin um, pointed this out to me, and it, it took someone to point this out to me. But she said, "You you collect people in both of your lives." Sometimes they just happen to be deceased, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I said thank you for that. <laughs> and, but um, but it is it's very true. I mean it it's I think there's a part of me that I mean this might be telling, but um, there's a part of me that as a as a casting director, people can talk back. <laughs> you know, as a as a genealogist, it's a very solitary activity. You're not. You're in a dark room by yourself most of the time. As a writer, I know and, what that's like. Yeah, you know, so that there's something that I really enjoy about the solitude of mm -hmm. 
that I'm solving a very large puzzle and I'm doing so by myself or with limited collaboration. When I'm, you know, in the city during the course of the week, I'm with dozens of hundreds of hundreds of people just day in, day out. I mean, if I if I have audition days, I might meet 500 people in the course of a week, um, many of whom I know or have met before. But I mean, but it's it's very much a juggle. So I think that's one reason I gravitate towards this as my other thing in life is the ability to control it a little bit more. Than, yeah. you know. So do you have any advice for actors as a casting director? Jumping back. Sure. Um, well, I... Um, I teach a lot, and I really enjoy teaching. I, I, I love to, particularly at the university level and graduate level, I, I love to go into those settings as a guy who happens to watch thousands of auditions a year. And I see great choices being made, and I see other choices being made, and everything in between. And so when I find myself in that environment... You know, the first question is almost always, "What? What's your biggest pet peeve, or what's your what's the thing that you wish performers knew?" And and I find that any answer that I give to that question always st- stems back to a matter of preparation and what it means to be prepared. And I think that particularly these days, there's so much access to information. You know, when we were growing up, we didn't have the same kind of instant no. information that, yeah, I mean, we, the library. or dial up AOL, or, you know, <laughs> I mean, which was, which blew our minds, you yeah. know, but that yeah. there, there was, and, and I, I feel very, I feel very um, fortunate in many ways to kind of be on this analog to digital generation to kind of be a part of that, because it makes me really appreciate the information that's out there and the and and knowing how to use it but i do find that there are many particularly younger performers who are so dependent upon instant digital everything and some of them are using it incredibly well there are some incredibly well informed 22-year-olds coming out of training programs. Many of them are probably the ones listening to this. This is information out in the ether, right? Um, But I also find that there are many who are not. And we have such an upswing in terms of people pursuing careers in the performing arts, particularly as performers, that you get to a point where um, you get left behind if you're not striving to be culturally literate and striving to be well informed. So so I, I, I harp upon that whenever I, I have the chance. But I, I do think that it's 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 simply saying this is the field that I've chosen, this is what I want to spend my life doing. I want to meet everyone, I want to form relationships with everyone, I want to find the ways in to have a lasting career in this field. Mm-hmm. Until I do something else. I mean if you choose to do something else, that's fine, but that you're you're dedicated to it for for that that stretch of time, and I do think that it's about. I mean, I hate the word networking, but yeah. it's about it's yeah. about forming relationships, mm-hmm. and it's about knowing that no one is unattainable. There's no, you, you know, there's no reason that a new performer moving to New York shouldn't be sending all, not just me, but all of my colleagues, sending your picture and mm-hmm. resume, whether or not it's been requested. I mean. Mm-hmm find a way in the door because I mean the people who do that are the ones that I'm going to then 
know that they exist mm-hmm. and it's all it's sometimes astounding to me how little that is taught and how little that is kind of understood that you have to elbow your way in any way yeah. possible i'm not saying show up at my at my apartment i'm not <laughs> saying show up with a you know a a a, a basket of chocolates but it, it's just it's saying um, I got very specific for a second there. Yeah, I was, I was, <laughs> show up with like a box of uh, it would, Reese's. Oh, dark it, it chocolate. would. No, see, no? I wouldn't do the dark. I would no? do like milk. Okay, milk chocolate. Okay, yeah, great. or whiskey. I mean, I would, you know. <laughs> but take um, notes. Yeah, characters. no, that uh, we should get this on you know up on Wikipedia for you know. <laughs> Are you on for Wikipedia? I am on Wikipedia. That's huge. I wrote it. You wrote it? <laughs> no, I. somebody made it, and then I figured out how to edit it. But it, yeah. but that was years ago now, so I have to go back and see what's there. It was existing, though. I was very pleased when I found it. That's a big deal. Exist. I think it was that, you know, I was mentioned in something, and then it created the automatically. But, no, but I, don't shoot yourself down. Well, I... Someone said yeah. Michael Cassera deserves a Wikipedia page. And that's my birthday and everything, which... Wow. Depending on, you know, sometimes I'm trying to seem older than I am. Sometimes, you know, so I mean... So it's all up there. All for public consumption, you know. Are there any... This is silly questions. Are there any songs that you're always excited to hear? Sure. In a room. I like that so much better than what don't you ever want to hear. Mm-hmm. Um... Um, as I said before, I'm a big traditionalist, so um, somebody somewhere always always does it for me. Um, any Bach and Harnick? I mean, I, I think the, the the musicals of Jerry Bach and Sheldon Harnick are probably um, the biggest reason that I work in the theater today. So mm. I mean. Um, I never, I never tire of hearing those songs. Um, did same. You, did you yeah. watch "She Loves Me" on the, I did. the Broadway HD? I did. I did too. Yeah, I, I thought, thought it was, was great. I thought it was terrific. Yeah, and what a what a great thing that they're they're doing that. And mm-hmm. I thought I also watched the Daddy Long Legs that Ken, Ken Davenport did. And I yeah. mean, that's what I mean by you could be a kid in Nebraska and mm-hmm. sitting in your house, and you find ten bucks from your paper route, and you can. See a Broadway show, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's. I think it's extraordinary. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, you know. Uh, I, I hope to see many more of those. Um, but so yeah, Bach and Bach and Harnick, Jones and Schmidt. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I love all those songs. 110 in the Shade. All those songs yeah. are, are just wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, the musicals of Stephen Sondheim and Hal Prince are probably right at the top of that list as well. Right. So. Um, I mean, in terms of things that I never tire of hearing in auditions, I I think there are certain songs that just lend themselves incredibly well. I think the, the commonality is that they they have a lot of humanity and a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean they have to all be happy, but that they have that the, the characters are striving for something and mm-hmm. and uh, that we're rooting for them. I think that that's part of what makes a great audition song. Are you working? Speaking of songs, maybe this will be your next audition song. <laughs> um, we'll do it better than I do. Let's set up the song. Let's set up sure. The song. So, uh, so Michael Cassera was kind enough to learn and perform a brand new song called "You Just Ain't My Type," and um, I wrote it for him. And <laughs> I'm, I'm, and I'm truly flattered. I mean, it, it's the only time I've ever had a song written for really? me. Really? So yeah. Well, I was, I was excited to yeah. to get to do it. I mean, well, I like that wink to the. 
the the type part of my profession. Yeah, but, just like a little sprinkle. You know, there. absolutely. Yeah. I think it, I think it it uh, it haunts my personal life as well. You know, yeah. being a little too exacting now and then. Well, but you know, it was my job to capitalize on that. <laughs> capitalize on my haunting, Joel. Right. Please, please have at it. It's a terrific song, and I, I hope you. that. Uh, I hope that people continue to use this. It's such a great opportunity to um, to hear your stuff. You, you know, use this podcast to find new material because I think it's terrific. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, most of the songs include. I'm going to put this one up in my music store on uh, repertoire.com. Okay. Um, so if you like this song, you can buy it. That's great. Yeah. Repertoire is it spelled uh, like repertoire? T W A. T W repertoire. I got it. Yeah, repertoire.com. And, um, yeah, they sell new musical theater writing sheet music. Terrific. Which is great. And yeah. I get most of it, which is nice. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Even better. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's very important to support writers. And, I agree. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, nah. Yeah, otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here eating this caviar. It would be, you right. know, it would be, yeah. it would be chicken fingers. <laughs> Do you like my chicken fingers? <laughs> Boneless. Be sure to follow me on all things social media. You may find those links and so much more on jewelbnew.com. Please follow Michael Casera um, on Facebook. It's Michael Casera Casting, uh, Twitter Michael Casera, Digiroots.net. Uh, Digiroots is also on Twitter um, and and on Facebook. So that, yeah, that's everything. It's everything. Follow me everywhere. Special thanks to the Dramatist Guild Fund, especially Tessa Raiden, who has been my uh, colleague, who has helped me f- get secure this space. It's a um, wonderful space. It's a beautiful space. Yeah. Very, very fortunate. Uh, and, of course, my, my friends Stephanie Layton, Peyton Royal, and Joel Dickinson, who all contribute to the podcast on a weekly basis. Uh, last and not, and certainly not least, Michael Sarah, thank you for being on my show today. Thank you, Joel B. New. This was a wonderful opportunity. It was I, so much fun. I had a great time. Thank you. Yeah. As did I. Uh, from the Dramatist Guild Fund, this is Joel B. New. And Michael Casera. Saying thank you for dropping by for something new. You're too seasoned, too sweet, you're too good, I repeat. You just ain't my type. Sorry, them's the breaks. I gotta go with my gut. I could call you back, but we both know you lack what it takes to make the cut. Cause you're too seasoned, too sweet, you're too good, I repeat. You 
just ain't my type You just ain't my type You just ain't my type Theatrical Media 2019